podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you haven't played Paddy Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus, begumbleware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us on this New Year's Eve, Eve, the 30th of December, Black Monday. The regular season is done and dusted. Uh, we have got all kinds of stuff to be getting into. That final 30 seconds in the San Francisco-Seattle game. The New England Patriots blowing it in Foxborough. The Titans getting it done. The Eagles getting it done, despite the fact they had about 74 players injured, apparently. So much to be talking about, and Greg Brady will help us break it all down and get you set for Wild Card Weekend, which is fast approaching. So too is the College Championship, the 13th of January, two weeks' time. Uh, the uh, Clemson Tigers will be taking on LSU in the championship final. Ben Isaacs, our college expert, who else will be telling us how each of the teams got there? Joe Burrow putting on a performance uh, for the ages and which team, well, maybe we'll sneak a prediction pick from him. We might give him a bit more time to get his head around it. So Ben Isaacs coming up in just a little bit, but leading off, it's Greg Brady. Greg Brady, is it too early to wish you a happy new year? Not in the le- n- not in the least, and uh, and with New Year comes Wild Card Weekend, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm willing to take uh, double the, the festiveness uh, over the next. <laughs> Doubling down, absolutely. Um, my God, so much to get into. The Patriots blowing it. The Green Bay almost landing the number one seed, which would have been the maybe the strangest thing of all. Uh, already Black Monday rearing its head. Freddie Kitchens we'll get into as well. But let's start with with Sunday Night Football, of course. Another classic between the 49ers and the Seahawks. Everything on the line as far as the division was concerned. And in San Francisco's case, the, the number one seed. And the Seahawks got as close as they could. Eerily reminiscent, of course, is that Super Bowl a few years back when they were on the goal line and couldn't get it done against the Patriots. An old pretender back in the mix as well with Marshall Lynch involved both of those games, not getting the rock in either of those games where maybe he could have done so much to break down at the end there. And the Seahawks, Greg, feeling pretty aggrieved with what went down. Well, for a couple of different reasons. One, yeah, one is of their own doing that with, uh, with the delay of game penalty off, uh, off getting down to first and goal at the one. But yeah, the other is the pass interference on the play that was, you know, two plays before that. It looked like an obvious case of defensive pass interference. Last two minutes of the game, they can't challenge it. They have to wait for a booth review. And I did wonder, uh, as we were listening to the commentators, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, who are just the best in the business. And, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't know if they quite spotted that maybe Seattle was waiting and waiting. They weren't taking time off the clock, but they were taking the play clock right down to about two right seconds, down. hoping to hear um, that they were going to review that and give them a first and goal at the one, as opposed to a fourth and goal at the six yard line. And naturally, you know, just, uh, just inches short. And the difference is dramatic. Not as dramatic as San Francisco going from a one to a five seed had they lost that game and had, had mm-hmm. a touchdown counted. But to go from a potential three seed, Green Bay and New Orleans would have got the buys. Um, it, it, to go from there to a, you know, five seed and be on the road to take on Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. 
they've got to recover from that fairly quickly because it really doesn't matter what the team's records are. It doesn't matter that Seattle was a much better team over the course of the regular season than Philadelphia was. You've seen it. I've seen it. The listeners have all seen it. Home advantage means so, so much in the, in the playoffs. And we've seen eight and eight teams beat 12 and four teams when the game is at the eight and eight team stadium. And it's devastating for the Seahawks, but they're pros. They're going to have to put it back together. The one thing I will say, and I'm curious to get your read is any, a, a lot of people taking Pete Carroll and dragging him all over the coals mm-hmm. because he's made mistakes at the one yard line before. A little of it has to be on Russell Wilson. A little sure. of it has to be Russell Wilson has to sense when the play clock is getting down. And either he's got to spike it again, Nat, and then give them a third and goal or some scenario like that instead of a second and goal off the spike. But he's got to make sure that ball doesn't move back five yards. That that was everything. I think so. I mean, even if it was on Carroll, and Carroll took the bullet afterwards, <clears throat> as you'd expect any uh, any robust head coach to do that for his for his players, uh, whether it was on him or not, ultimately, you're absolutely right. At some point, a quarterback of Russell Wilson's experience needs to grab that initiative and say, well, look, I'm not getting the right. This is going to happen. I can see this happening in front of me. My coaches are making the mistake here. I've got to step up and, and, and make a play. Uh, so I agree with that. What did you think of the, of the Hollis, the, the catch that obviously they reviewed and, and ruled it down by inches? Did you think there was any, cause I mean, it was lots of different angles we finally saw and every, uh, everything is looked yeah. at in, in close detail. Did you think there was any argument that, that, that should have been called a touchdown? It was real close, but I, but I didn't. It was real hard to be definitive, as you note, until you see about the five, six different camera angles. Uh, that they do have that it, it just, it, I didn't think he turned enough. And I thought basically his butts on the ground and, and like the, the butt, the knee, the elbow, if you're down, you're down. And I, and I didn't find there was a sense of understanding maybe. And, and he was hit so hard too. It was a mile, I won't call it a mild helmet to helmet hit, but the helmets hit each other. Um, and I didn't think in a malicious way in the least. The green hit was just, yeah, I mean, really, really hard hit. Y- yeah. So That's it may fair. have, ju- it fair. may have jarred him to the point that he didn't think to reach out the football because you'll often mm. see that. Um, but uh, I, I just didn't think there was the push. And I thought his butt's down, he's down, and he's just shy of, of obviously breaking the plane of the goal line. So it's, it'd be amazing to see where they would have – well, we saw where they spotted that football because San Francisco had to snap it again. And there was a lot of debate as to whether are the 49ers going to be able to push this forward, uh, take a knee in the end zone, run around the end zone, mm. and then throw an incomplete pass. We didn't know what. Uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was going to do in that scenario. As it turned out, he, he gunned forward and won the football game and, and got the 49ers, uh, a, a, a buy into the divisional playoff for the first time in, in a bunch of years. They haven't, haven't had this high a seed in a long, long time. You got to go back to early Alex Smith days with the 49ers to, uh, to get there because Colin Kaepernick often had to play that first wild card weekend and uh, a couple wins over Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in the playoffs. That was not a high seed. The 49ers weren't when they went and played that Super Bowl against the Baltimore Ravens. So this is as high as they've been in a long time. Uh, reversing, of course, the result earlier on this season, another close game that uh, the Seahawks uh, edged in overtime. And the 49ers have managed to redress the balance a bit with that close win against the Saints and then this one uh, as well. Of course, different personnel on show this time around compared to the earlier Seahawks 49ers game in, in this season, notably uh, some key players back on the offensive line for the 49ers that didn't play in that game. George Kittle back as well. And, and perhaps most significantly, the problems with injuries that Seattle have had with their running game. And so Marshall Lynch, as we talked about all week, the big story in the NFL because he's such a character and everybody loves him and uh, a prolific player as well, but a player that has been out of the NFL 
for the whole season and didn't really factor a huge amount in his final year in Oakland. Uh, although he's been saying, I'm keeping myself in shape and, and mm-hmm. who are we to argue with Marshall Lynch when <laughs> saying that? Uh, he did get the score, but wasn't particularly effective outside of that, was he? So moving forward, based on what you saw against the 49ers, given how important the run game, the ground game is for this Seattle Seahawks team, What's your prognosis on where they're at right now uh, in terms of productivity and what they're going to be able to do against Philly? Yeah, I think it's very, it's very running back by committee still. And, and they don't have much of a committee, do they? Travis Homer, they used a, a fair bit, uh, in on third down mostly, but you're right. They had Marshawn Lynch peeled off one big run for 15 yards. Besides that, Nat, he was 11 for 19. He was 11 mm. carries, 19 yards. That's not going to get things done against the Eagles defense as, as suspect as the Eagles defense was back in September and October, I think we'd all agree it's playing slightly better now. I mean, they, they were in a jam of their own, uh, you know, against the New York Giants for a little bit, but that was more because the Giants defense uh, was playing well. And, of course, Saquon Barkley got loose on that one big long run. Oof. But nonetheless, um, yeah, I, I worry about Seattle. I think they're underdogs. I, I think they deserve to be mild underdogs because they're on the road, because they're playing a, a pretty elite quarterback in Carson Wentz. But I'd be a little bit concerned now. Some of the criticism of Pete Carroll as well from the game against the Niners, Nat, is about the utilization of Marshawn Lynch in the first half. They got behind the eight ball a fair bit, only gave him the ball uh, for, I think, three carries in the first half and, and found themselves obviously down 13 uh at the half. So when, when you think that Seattle outscored San Francisco 21-13 in the second half, and it probably mm-hmm. could have been 28-13, with that final touchdown, because I don't think San Francisco is getting the ball back in time to do much about it. Um, you have to be impressed by how they made adjustments, how they rejigged their game plan somewhat. But uh, yeah, a little bit worried about them having to be sort of two pass oriented. Uh, and, and I'm not sure, as we've discussed so many times with Seattle, I'm not sure there's the elite receiver there. You can like DK Metcalf. You can like the, uh, you know, the, the consistency of Tyler Lockett. But I'm not sure there's enough weapons there for Russell Wilson to uh, to get in an arms race with the Philadelphia Eagles next week. Well, Locke has been injured, of course, back last week and, and got a score against the, the 49ers. So he's kind of getting back up to speed, I think it's fair to say. And, and, and the two of them, well, both Metcalf and Lockett scored, actually, in, in the game against the 49ers. Both of them could do damage. I guess the difference is the... The difference, ironic, and a lot of people talked about the fact that now Seattle have to concentrate more on the passing game when people have been saying they need to do that anyway for the majority of the season but when your hand is forced there's a different proposition from deciding to do it when you've got a potent running offense that you can make the opposition's defense be be thinking about so uh, this is uh, i think an issue and it's not that they are necessarily choosing to go more to the air they have to go more to the air travis homer incidentally averaging 6.2 a carry so that's something to keep an eye on that's pretty decent return marshall lynch 2.8 to your point got the rock a lot but uh or fair amount but couldn't really get anything going outside of the the score uh but you know it's his first game down so uh do not write a player like that off uh, anytime quick let's talk about the philadelphia eagles sensational stuff from them i mean i think doug peterson has to be in the conversation he won't win it but he has to be in the conversation for coach of the year because i know that everybody is slagging off the nfc east for being a fairly vanilla division and a team with a nine and seven record shouldn't get a higher seed than a team with a much stronger record and all of these stories that we hear and aren't the cowboys rubbish and aren't philly the worst playoff team we've seen in ages and their performance last night given the amount of injuries they had going into the game greg in the game itself, as Ollie, our producer, was pointing out, there was 
an actual queue outside the blue tent, the blue tent. One of the Eagles players, Greg, had to go into the locker room to get seen because he wasn't able to get attention in the, in the blue tent. So it's a remarkable coaching performance, isn't it, from Doug Peterson? Yeah, he's done a, he's done a good job. There's no question. I think his name will, will get some, like you said, he's not going to win, but he's in that honorable mention category. Um, the, the names that, that fly off the page for me are Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. What he did with the Niners, I think Sean McDermott for Buffalo for certain for getting that team in, and and this looks like a lot. I know we'll talk about them, but it looks like a lot more real Bills team than uh, the the kind of pretenders that that got in and, and got three points against the Jacksonville Jaguars two years ago. But yeah, for Philadelphia's sake, it's just been next man up constantly. They have not been able to rely too much on offensive weapons. Um, clearly on, on on the defensive side, there's been some key players that they've needed to stay healthy that that have been they've got a healthy Malcolm Jenkins that's important um I've I've been really impressed by how Nigel Bradham's played the linebacker position yeah Uh, the Eagles the Eagles are are a threat and look they got into the playoffs last year um and and with Nick Foles going against New Orleans the year after their Super Bowl win um so this is it for for Carson Wentz to finally also be a playoff quarterback. We've been waiting a while for this. Um, it's hard to believe that he's never started a playoff game, but next weekend against uh, the aforementioned Seattle Seahawks is going to be Carson Wentz's first. And there's been many a quarterback that just hasn't nailed it that first time out. Dan Marino lost a home game to the Seattle Seahawks in his first ever playoff game. Joe Montana uh, lost early playoff games. Peyton Manning famously lost his first four playoff games. He didn't win a playoff game until he was in the league five seasons. So Mm. it's not as easy as it looks. Aaron Rodgers has lost his first playoff game. So there's many a quarterback that you just don't quite know what their debut in the postseason is going to be like. I'm fascinated to see how Wentz operates against Seattle's linebackers, Seattle's secondary. I would say, and I'm probably giving myself away, it's the most exciting matchup for me of, of Wild Card Weekend. Um, I know we've got some good quarterbacks, some older veteran quarterbacks, and, and some, some new guys as well with Josh Allen making a debut, but I'm, I'm really excited to see Philadelphia-Seattle. It seems to be the closest game, doesn't it? It seems to be the closest game. And to Carson Wentz and your point, I thought he had some absolutely clutch plays yesterday. And, and again, without overemphasizing the point, with all kinds of characters that he that he just can't have had too much simpatico with because they're, you know, backups, third stringers, uh, no Zach Hurts in the mix as well yesterday. The defense stepped up too and some old stages there getting it done. Malcolm Jenkins with a forced fumble. That was critical, of course, and Fletcher Cox picking it up. And that was a, a really crucial point because after the Saquon Barkley TD that you mentioned, and incidentally, Greg, how much... Uh, moxie do you have to have to, to be <laughs> doing, I mean if I did that I would uh, this is to stay on Saquon Barkley's pointing as he before he'd even passed the final defender just pointing and taunting and showboating uh, before he got into the end zone if I did that I would absolutely trip and fall flat on my face I know we had a record for the big man touchdown uh, for a, a player, an, an eligible reporting player to score a touchdown in terms of length and certainly yards after catch I, I would say 51 yards is probably the record for putting your arm in the air uh, <laughs> and and then going yeah. untouched. I don't think I don't think you do that at 60 or 70 yards. I think we'd remember that in, in NFL lore with all the time the <laughs> NFL Network fire the highlights up and we see it. I, I do agree with you. I think 51 yards is probably the uh, the new and and uh, you know the new title holder for uh, for for confidence and moxie, as you say, <laughs> to, to then score six points. I love Saquon Barkley, and it was a hell of a play. But my God, it's not as if that was the touchdown that sealed the Giants in the playoffs or the division. I mean, they've had a woeful season, and he's had a pretty poor season as well. I know he's back in the game the last couple of weeks, but seemed to be a little bit inappropriate. Well, and you you mentioned the point about Philadelphia's uh, you know Philadelphia's receivers. Do you think we could do some kind of science experiment outside of Julian Edelman? 
we'll switch the Patriots receivers to the to the Eagles receivers and vice versa and see if Tom Brady and Carson Wentz even notice next weekend. They probably won't <laughs> given the cast of characters they've had. They won't make it won't make, out of the outside of Edelman and that distinct beard, it won't make any difference. Well, let's get on to the Patriots because that was one of the shocks of the season. I don't think that's overstating it because I think everybody, I don't think I saw a single person pick Miami for the win in Foxborough. And although the line was pretty big, I think they're up to 15, 16 points. 17, by, 17 and a half 17? is what I saw. It's one of the biggest. Wow. I think it's one of the, there's been four times in NFL regular season history um, that a spread, a, a, a team that big an underdog, Nat, has won outright. And and the biggest beyond that, Super Bowl three. Like that's the neighborhood wow. it's in yeah. in terms of a uh, in terms of a straight up upset, not covering the spread, but a straight up upset. So you're right about that. All of the things that have been haunting the Patriots for much of the season offensively came home to roots. They couldn't get the passing game going. There were drops. Dorsett had a couple. Couldn't really get Sanu involved or Keel Harry in the game. The ground game, which has improved, of course, in recent weeks with the move to Alandon Roberts at fullback. Um, with Devlin out, and that's you, something you and I have talked about a lot this season, Greg, such a fundamental part of the, the Patriots' offense and as particularly establishing the ground game. But they seem to have found a solution for that, and they did get an element of that going as well. And, of course, James White got a score out of the backfield. So there were the odd, it was the odd glimmer, but it was really representative, I think, offensively of everything that has been underwhelming about the Patriots this year particularly when so much was at stake. It wasn't as if you could argue, well, they've already got the first round by lockdown. So they were experimenting, they took the foot off the gas. They weren't really taking the game seriously. There was a massive amount at stake uh, in this game, and yet they couldn't deliver against, let's face it, a spirited mm-hmm. but ultimately flawed Miami side to offensively concerns. What about defensively? Because this is what this Patriots iteration is all about. Yeah, it might be an aging Brady, not enough weapons around him. But if they can hold the team to 17, 20 points, they might find a way with McDaniels and Belichick and everybody else in, in the playoffs of scheming a win. How worried should Patriots fans be? Not about the offense, but how the defense played against Miami. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a one-off defensively. I, I, I think it's, there's some concerning signs and Miami just, uh, what can you say about how much they try, uh, and, and how, how well they protected Ryan Fitzpatrick, how well Ryan Fitzpatrick played himself. I'm not sure if you've seen, but, there's stories out, uh, that, that Kansas City Chiefs fans on mass are donating $14, uh, a piece to Ryan Fitzpatrick's charity. Uh, Fitzpatrick, <laughs> they're so appreciative that he got his Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes that first round by, uh, <laughs> Love to, play, it. to play in the divisional playoffs. So they're huge Miami Dolphins fans at Arrowhead Stadium yesterday. Yeah. I, I, the defense I think is going to be there, but I think when mm. you ask me the question, how big a task is this? I can't think of the last time it was a, a bigger task. And the last time they played on Wild Card Weekend, the Baltimore Ravens just pummeled them at home. I don't think that I don't think they're, that's going to happen with the Tennessee Titans and Ryan Tannehill. I don't, but I think New England fans just said, "Well, we get our home game a week early, and though we've we've covered adversity before, and we've gone and we've we've won road games, we've we've won before in Indianapolis in the playoffs, we've won before in Pittsburgh, we've won before last year at Arrowhead Stadium." You're asking now the New England Patriots and and Tom Brady without a lot of the weapons he's so used to over the years, even Josh Gordon, who he was starting to really get in tune with for the first several weeks of the year before the Gordon injury. And there's obviously reasons Josh Gordon, uh, for a second straight year, didn't stick with the Patriots and they were willing to move off him despite the fact it wasn't a season-ending injury. Take Rob Gronkowski away. 
Matt, you're asking them to go to Kansas City and then probably Baltimore and win. And that's we've we've also seen New England struggle in those AFC title games, both the ones they played against Peyton Manning and the Broncos on the road on the road in that high altitude. And that was a big problem. It was it was just too much to overcome for Brady and the Patriots. Those two years that Peyton Manning took the Broncos to the Super Bowl, one in a win. And obviously the other one, a blowout loss to the Seahawks. I, I think it's too much. And I'm not one of these people that was on board in the regular season giving up on the Patriots, thinking they weren't mm. Super Bowl contenders. And had they held on against Miami yesterday, they'd probably still be my pick. I think they get a second look at Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. I think they can go in there and win that game. Yeah. The question yeah. is, is it going to take too much out of them over the next two weekends of football to do it, right? I, I, I couldn't agree more. We were talking about this in the studio yesterday, actually. the uh, One of the uh, production team over at the radio station, not an NFL fan, so he, he was asking lots of newbieish questions about why the Patriots keep on doing it and who the favorites this year. And uh, I was exactly in lockstep with you that I am not buying into this negativity about the Patriots to the degree that it's come out. Like clearly they're not the team that they want to be and they are a flawed team. But two games from the Super Bowl with this personnel, totally, and this defense in particular, completely plausible, right? But now the extra game, I think it can go one of two ways, right? Because they should, and uh, underline that in red pen, mm-hmm. they should uh, have enough for more than enough for, for the Titans. Although I know the Titans are, are rolling into the playoffs and what momentum they've got in terms of confidence and, uh, uh, and Derek Henry tearing things up again. And that's going to be a really, really interesting matchup. They, they should win the game. And I wonder if it, it allows them an extra game to sort out some of these offensive issues. Because as I said for quite a few weeks now, all it takes, and maybe it's a big, all it takes, all it takes is for Sanu to start clicking a little bit more with Brady. Thank you, Harry, a few more games as a rookie receiver to get a bit more productive, not just as a, a red zone target, but a little bit more in the regular game. And Edelman as well. That's the key thing, I guess, in terms of yeah. injury, that, how bad that is as well. But maybe with this move of Atlanta Roberts to fall back and a couple, you know, an extra four quarters of mixing stuff up, it might be what they need. It might be the, the slap in the face they needed. I, I note the America's game last year watching that back and talking about the, the defeat to Miami, the Miami uh, miracle mm-hmm. game and the, uh, the Pittsburgh defeat the week after that. And Edelman and the McCourty brothers were saying, this is exactly what we needed at, at that time. It was a really sharp slap in the face and motivated us for the playoffs. So perhaps this, this defeat is exactly what the Patriots needed to, to shake him up. We shall see. It's going to be a fascinating game. It's worth noting a couple more things before we move on from them. The Patriots have never reached a Super Bowl in the Belichick Brady era without a first round by. So they've never done it the wild card way. Um, one other question for you on broadly the AFC East, but factoring in therefore the Patriots. Our old friend Greg Rosenthal said on mm-hmm. NFL.com, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the best quarterback in the AFC East this season. He's had the best. I think he might be right. I mean, I think it can't be Donald because of the mono yeah. and the absolute. He's definitely not Brady and it's probably not Josh Allen, right? So Fitzpatrick been probably is the, is had the strongest season out of all four. And it's really remarkable because you think this, this year was all about setting up the Miami Dolphins to look to the future and draft a quarterback and, and the, they were almost the consensus bet, weren't they? To get the number one overall pick and, and draft Tua, uh, out of Alabama. And neither of those things happened. Tua's not going to go number one. Joe Burrow out of LSU is and the Cincinnati Bengals now have that pick. Now Miami's got going to have, you know, a good top 10 pick 
and they've got another pick, which is Pittsburgh's, because they were counting on Pittsburgh when they traded Minka Fitzpatrick not, not having a very good year, and the Steelers did fall short of the playoffs. So I think they're getting the 17th or 18th pick overall. They're going to have to take a quarterback, but you raise a great point, and Greg does too. Is it Ryan Fitzpatrick back again at age 38 for another year, and you've right. got a younger quarterback to sort of apprentice for him? Um, much of, And where, what about Josh Rosen? I don't know if Josh Rosen can't play in the league, but I sure don't know if he can play. After two entire seasons, he's barely been on the football field, all told. And when he's been on the football field, it's either been with a really bad Arizona team or really, you know, lackluster, subpar Miami team. So he hasn't got I the think advantage. He's playing, yeah. he I think he's playing receiver for Philly against Seattle this weekend. <laughs> from, from what I yeah, yeah. He, he, the other Josh got put in a really good scenario in Buffalo, and, you know, they let him come along and, and groomed him and, and put personnel around him. Josh Rosen, who, who some had ranked higher than Josh Allen when the draft was happening in 2018, just hasn't gotten a break so far, but he's going to have to make his own breaks in his third NFL year. I don't know what Miami does at quarterback, but yeah, to your point, Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, played as well as he could possibly play for them. Let's talk about the other Josh then, uh, because the, the Titans Patriots, one of the wild card games, Buffalo and Houston, the other one, Buffalo heading to Houston, of course, the Texans as the divisional winners, the Bills as the number five seed. The Texans made the decision, despite what Bill O'Brien, their head coach, had said during the week to rest a number of their starters, including most notably uh, Deshaun Watson. So AJ McCarron got the start for them uh, yesterday against uh, Tennessee, the backup. Uh, so... Looking at that matchup, the Texans, I guess, because of home field advantage, have to be favorites. It's quite narrow, though. I think they're three-point favorites. So I'm just going to check the line as we're talking here. Yeah, they are three-point favorites. So that essentially says, the way that Vegas and the, and the bookmakers work out the lines, that if this was on a neutral ground, this would be a pick right? They can't pick pick between the three-point line is is given for the, for the home field advantage. Do you think that's about right? Do you think this is pretty much an evenly matched game? I think it's a coin flip game. I think that's right in line with, uh, with where it should be. And, and, you know, there's a lot there because the Bills, I, I, the current players will get asked about this and Josh Allen will get asked about this and Sean McDermott will get asked about this. You're fighting a little bit of history here. You're fighting a really dismal playoff performance down in Jacksonville two years ago with Tyrod Taylor starting, which yeah. was just a, just a dog of a game, uh, to watch. Uh, Jacksonville pulled through and actually I thought some courageous Jacksonville's only touchdown, if I recall, was on a fourth and goal play from about the two, two and a half yard line. So Doug Marone, uh, taking some chances there. And then Jacksonville really got things rolling next week when they won in Pittsburgh and got to the AFC title game. I, you know, and it's early days, but I love the Bills in this one. I absolutely think that's, that's the road team. If I had to put, uh, put money behind, I think Buffalo is going to win it. And I'll tell you why in a sec, but the, the thing is their playoff drought goes all the way back to 1995. Only the Brown, only the Bengals, I should say, and only the Detroit Lions have gone longer without a playoff win. Even the Browns have a playoff victory more recently than the, uh, than, than the Buffalo Bills do. So there's a <laughs> lot of history there. They last won the 1995 wild card game. So we're talking, you know, 25 years of football, uh, you know, a, a quarter century since the Bills won a, won a playoff game, uh, on the road, uh, or sorry, in the playoffs period. And there's just something about the Texans, Nat. I, I think this is, Kind of do or die for Bill O'Brien. I, I hear the questions all the time about whether he's a good coach or not. And yet, I, I think most NFL fans, if I told you and most NFL fans, the Texans have won the AFC South, a pretty competitive division, four out of the last five years. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound mm. right given their lack of postseason accomplishments because they've lost home games in the playoffs so consistently. They have not shown up for first halves 
of home games against Kansas City and Indianapolis. So I think all the pressure in the world is on the Texans because I think the Bills think they're a growing franchise. I think they think, Matt, that they're next in line to take over the AFC East if the Patriots falter over the next year or two. And I think the Bills can say, we're in a spot that the Jets and Dolphins just aren't right now. So there's a, they're oozing confidence and a bit of swagger coming in. And the Texans don't want to disappoint their home crowd for a third straight time. There's a lot of pressure, absolutely, and a, a lot of pressure uh, ooh, that will be increased if, if Will Fuller doesn't play. Now, he was ruled out. He wasn't rested against the Titans. He was ruled out. He's an injury. He has injury problems, right? He's one of those players that, that is a bit of a crock, but a hell of a player and, and really instrumental in this offense as well. He's often cited by uh, a lot of people as key to opening up the offense for the Texans because of the attention that he takes, because of the supporting role he plays with DeAndre Hopkins, because of just the impact he has on the passing game, which then opens up the ground game a little bit more. And Deshaun Watson, if he wants to improvise and, and use his legs. So he's his fitness will be fundamental in, in this as well. And it's obviously a really uh, capable Buffalo defense offensively there are still question marks about josh allen though and and somebody described it it might have even been uh, mike lombardi on his show saying look he's a hell of an athlete i just don't know if he's a hell of a quarterback and i think that is a really good summation of of josh allen particularly emphasized because he's such a good runner as well and he is enigmatic isn't he difficult to conclude because he will sometimes make a play throw something bang on the money and you think okay right I, I was wrong about him or that demonstrates everything I need to know. He is an NFL quarterback. There's no doubt about it. He's just made that play. Only 10 other quarterbacks in the league could have made that pass. And then he whiffs on five, the next five. So difficult to, uh, difficult to work out just how capable Josh Allen is, but he's going to be up for the game. Of course, I don't think there's any sense, uh, a question about his temperament or whether he'll get phased in the playoff situation. No, no, it's a, it's a big moment for him. But I think if, if we're doing the old style, who do you give the, uh, who do you give the check mark to in a playoff preview? The vast majority of NFL fans are giving it to Deshaun Watson. But right. on the other side of the ball, I think we'd agree. Watson has to have some, uh, some considerable, considerable awareness more than he's had in the playoffs previously. He's got to avoid sacks. He's got to avoid interceptions. He's been mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, Jameis Winston gets a lot of guff and probably so for a 30 and 30 season with 30 interceptions. But Deshaun Watson's got to take care of the football a little more as well. There's many a game over the last couple of years that you can point to and go, there's two interceptions here. There's three picks here. He needs to minimize that because Buffalo likes to ball hawk a little bit. You mentioned how decent their secondary is. And, and of course, they sat guys yesterday. Micah Hyde's been excellent this year. Jordan Poyer's been real good this year. Uh, obviously, Trey White is probably their best defensive player overall. And all those guys can, you know, if, if they, you know, they focus in, laser in on where Deshaun Watson's going with the football, that could be a long afternoon. It may just take one big turnover in the second half for the Bills to get through the, the Texans. But I think you nailed it. I, I think you did on, uh, on Josh, uh, on Josh Allen, where he'll hit that. I thought the Patriots game was the, was the archetypical example where he hits that home run pass. There's just beautiful long balls down the sideline. And then mm. you're looking for a simple third and six over the middle and he misses his guy by a yard and a half and the Bills mm. have to punt. He's gotta, he's gotta, he's gotta nail those, those sort of, sort of little things. He's gotta get the little things done because we've seen he can do big things with the football. I just don't think he's got enough weapons around him. You know, I really don't. I think you, you double down on a young quarterback that has issues with his passing still and whether they are issues that can be resolved 
the jury's still out on that front. But then you then combine that with one of the weaker receiving calls in, not just in the AFC, I think in the NFL, right? Uh, then I think there is an issue here. Look, they are that team that is built to grind it out and take you down 20 to 17, uh, you know, 24, 18, that kind of win. And it's highly conceivable that they could go on the road to the Texans and do that. But I'm kind of leaning towards. I, I can tell you're not leaning. You're, uh, you're, you're driving, you're driving 110 <laughs> miles an hour. Matthew. I, I smell a friendly wager here. I love, I love It'll the concept come, of this. This could happen. It, I love it. You can come back to haunt me. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Uh, one more line on one of the playoff teams. And then I want to get into the Freddie Kitchen situation and, and indeed other uh, possible Black Monday issues. And we will, of course, break down in full detail when all the axes have fallen uh, later on in the week with Iron Mike. But just a quick line on Kansas City, because uh, I uh, worked the other day with the Good Morning Football crew uh, who who guested on a, a TV show I was doing and I threw the question to them, which team is timing it just right for the the playoffs? And uh, I think it was Nate Burleson, one of them, who went with Kansas City saying, look, they are getting everything absolutely right and particularly emphasizing the improvement in their defense. Steve Spagnuolo really, really... Uh, sorting out what was the Achilles heel for this Andy Reid iteration of the Chiefs. And I don't think you can really argue with that, can you, can you, Greg? Out of all of the teams, maybe the Saints, and you could, from the NFC, look at that. But out of all the teams uh, getting into the playoffs, if you buy into that argument of timing and momentum and uh, on you know both sides yeah. of the ball, performing at the highest level you can, the Chiefs seem to be that team that is properly simpatico right now. Well, there's a more of a, you know, been there, done that concept with Kansas City than there is with the Baltimore Ravens, just this current iteration of, of the Ravens. I, I find to a person, um, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, that the Green Bay Packers, the record kind of flatters them a little bit. I don't sure. think we think this is a, this is a Packers team, though they've increased the depth of the, of the organization. Does this feel like a 13 and three Green Bay Packers team? Not to me, it doesn't. So if you're asking me if, if, you know, yeah, if I've got to put down on one team, like I said, had New England been the second seed yesterday, I, I, I'm just not going against the defending champs, but the Chiefs probably are that team and they were a ton of people's, they were a ton of people's preseason pick. But I think those people that picked them in the preseason thought they'd sort of skate their way to the number one seed and not have to play a road game. Uh, away from Arrowhead Stadium. Now, remember, we're giving the Baltimore Ravens the benefit of the doubt in their first round, no matter who they end up playing. And mm. that could end up being a, a little bit of a mistake. What if it's a Houston? What if it's a Buffalo? And they go into Baltimore and cause some problems. We're forgetting, as good as Lamar Jackson has been, he's been outer-worldly. Not too many teams have gotten to see him twice. Not too many good teams have gotten to play Lamar Jackson twice because their division, let's face it, the Browns, the Bengals and the Steelers without Big Ben and without a, a lot of other big names that, uh, with injury and whatnot that have hurt them this year. And first year post Antonio Brown, first year post Le'Veon Bell. So they're not, the, they're not the Steelers, not right now anyway. So the Ravens have impressive wins. They've got that win against New England in their back pocket that was amazing on that Sunday night. But yeah, Kansas City's defense has come together quite a bit better than it was last year. We were all a little worried about whether the Chiefs could get stops. And as it turned out in the AFC title game, they did not get stops. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I, they're the team that you'd, I think you'd have to look at maybe just ahead of the Saints, just ahead of 40-year-old yeah. Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints and say, 
that that's the team that's that's most likely to end up getting there. And maybe they don't have to go on the road and do it because we've seen stranger things in the NFL playoffs. Greg, what quarterback matchup would you most like to see? Now we know our playoff teams in the Super Bowl. Would you like to see, uh, you know, Brady Breeze? Would you like to see Rogers Brady? Would you like, to, <laughs> does Lamar Jackson deserve it because of everything he's done? Mahomes in the mix again. You know, who would you like to see? Not uh, based on teams or who you think should get there, just in terms of the quarterback matchup. So, you know, so can I go least first? It's probably Kirk Cousins and Josh Allen is the way you're talking about. <laughs> I, I think we still might watch the game. We might, you might not cancel your flight to Miami if it's Minnesota and Buffalo. I, I think you got a hell of a story of that, that happening. You know what? You mentioned, you mentioned Brady Rogers. Hmm. It's just, it's almost, we're past that now, aren't we? we we've, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think we've probably seen the best of both quarterbacks and we never got that matchup. And I've said to you a bunch of times, uh, that it, it, I don't think you go generally as a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers win the Super Bowl from the age he's at and then never go again. Mm, like like even, again. Even, even Brett Favre went another time. Like Rodgers, I think Marino, Rodgers, and Breeze stand alone right now as the three best quarterbacks ever to only go to one Super Bowl. And yeah, yeah. that goes back all the way to the start of Super Bowls, quite obviously. it's When you say does that, that mean, what, does that make it, is it they, that would be the Pacquiao-Mayweather, uh, you know, when they, they finally got together. If, if, <laughs> but if, it's if way Brady too late, right? It. It's way too late yeah, to, right. uh, to spend the pay-per-view on the fight. I, I think the way you put it, it's probably Mahomes and Breeze because of the weapons mm-hmm. both those guys uh, have, obviously. Mm-hmm. The Saints probably have the best receiver in the game right now. Kansas City's got a tremendous mix of, of running backs and wide receivers for Patrick Mahomes to play with. And, and it's weird in a year where Lamar Jackson's taken a little bit of attention away almost from Patrick Mahomes, uh, with Mahomes getting injured, obviously, and, and Jackson kind of hitting his peak midseason, that we, we, we got a lot more years. It's not like Mahomes is like old news, far from it. He's only in his second full season as a starter, and we're going to see him play for, you know, a decade and beyond. Uh, Kansas City, New Orleans. Uh, yeah, you, you could sign me up for that. And I'm, I'm real good with that particular matchup. And, and I think again, we'd be real good with, with a Baltimore, Kansas City. If you don't like the Patriots, um, sometimes the alternative has been not very enjoyable to, to consider, but a Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes AFC title game, we're all there. We're all, we're all sitting in front of our all televisions ready to watch that. In like Flynn. Now on to coaching, uh, Black Monday. About to really get underway, and we're recording this early doors UK time. So as I say, later in the week when we catch up with our Mike, we'll have a, a real deep dive into the coaching changes. Some things we do know, Freddie Kitchens one and done in Cleveland. Ian Rappaport reporting in the last couple of minutes that uh, the Redskins interview with Ron Rivera is more of a coronation. All signs point to Rivera becoming Washington's new coach today. So uh, things are happening. Let's add Jason Garrett uh, to the mix as well. Widely expected after the Cowboys didn't manage to uh, sneak in through the back door last night that he's going to get pulled and uh, Jane Slater, the reporter, uh, quoting Jerry Jones here after the game, there are no doors shut here tonight, none, said Jerry Jones. But then he went on to say, I can see myself making a lot of changes in a lot of areas. So uh, I think we can widely assume that Jason Garrett is going to go as well. Um, what do you make of the Freddie Kitchens decision, one and done? I think it had to be done. I think the, you know, whether it was a temperament issue, whether it was a mentality issue, um, it, it cost the Browns some games this year. There's no question. There was a, a lack of maturity with the whole team and someone's going to have to come in with some experience. Uh, and they're going to have to get up in there, done that guy. I'd be on, mm. I'd have been on the phone to Mike McCarthy last season, right. but it's very possible that they didn't think at the time, uh, they needed 
you know, somebody that's a little more an authoritarian. You've got a guy with a Super Bowl ring. That's the guy I'd go with. But yeah, Nat, I, th- I think that was inevitable and they're going to have to, they got a lot of calls to make. Is, are they going forward with both Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr.? Do they bring in a veteran quarterback? Not to, not to, you know, push Baker Mayfield out of a job. Baker's Baker regress, but we're not there yet with Baker yet with Baker Mayfield. But I think they need a veteran that is going to, you know, help be more of a, uh, you know, a, a serviceable uh, sage, if you will, for Baker Mayfield to help him in his career as well, because he's got he's yapping with the fans again yesterday. All that stuff's just got to stop. All the talk about whether other teams should have drafted other quarterbacks, they've got to minimize that down to nothing, and maybe another mm-hmm. coach, another veteran quarterback can get that done. It's difficult to speculate uh, too much. I'm risky to do that as well on Black Monday. But the way that Pat Shermer, just the way that he was behaving, I think, on the sidelines in the game yesterday, uh, the way that some of his players were reacting uh, to when the Giants were back in the game, certainly, and, and playing well, looks like he's at the end of the road as well. And he uh, gave some quotes after that game saying, look, it's a wins business. I get it. I get it. So I think... Um, I think Sherma could be one of the coaches going. But as I say, we'll uh, we'll lock that down later on in the week with Iron Mike. Greg, cracking stuff. Always an absolute pleasure. And as we get to the serious end of proceedings, of course, you're going to be a regular part uh, of the show and, and part of the radio broadcast as well. So uh, we'll be pushing out uh, news of uh, me and Greg doing some playoff games on UK radio for our British listeners. Uh, that's where uh, you can hear a little bit more of the big man. Fantastic time of year. Love doing this today. Thanks, Matt. Take care, bud. Lovely work for Greg. Brady will move things from the NFL to college. The championship game coming up in a couple of weeks' time between Clemson and LSU. Breaking that one down and indeed how both teams got into the big show. Let's check in with Ben Isaacs. Benedict, how's life? Oh, it's fantastic. I've had a great Christmas. How about you? I have had a fine Christmas. One that was made, well, it's been made all the better for having you on the show, of course. Uh, (laughs) And having you on the show to talk about Joe Burrow. And that we'll get straight down to business, right? Joe Burrow, who we talked about a lot on the show this season. And I think, you know, it's fair to say a lot of our listeners are, are NFL fans that dip in and out of college and they're going to know the big stars like two. I like Joe Burrow. We talked about him a lot as uh, a high, possibly number one overall draft pick, but haven't necessarily been completely convinced or take, taken, you know, a complete look at him and thought about it in terms of the NFL after his performance. I mean, which was just extraordinary, sending LSU to the final. They're going to meet Clemson. We'll break down the game in a bit. But it was a performance for the ages. I think it's not overstating it. And is it going too far to say what we have on our hands now is a sure thing type quarterback like Andrew Luck was a sure thing type quarterback? Every five, six years, a quarterback comes out of the draft that you think, unless something extraordinary happens, he is going to make it in the NFL, no doubt about it. Um, I'm not going to go that far. I'll be honest. Um, I love, I love Joe Burrow. Um, and it's interesting you say Andrew Luck because he was, he was someone who I did feel I was a, was a can't miss guy, partly yeah. because he's perhaps the most intelligent quarterback to have come into the NFL in the last, in the last 10 years. Um, I'm a big fan of Andrew Luck. Joe Burrow is, he has been like Andrew abs- Luck more than Mitch Trubisky. Uh, <laughs> slightly, even yeah, even I think this season Andrew Luck would have been better than Mitch Trubisky. Um, Joe Burrow has absolutely walked the Heisman this year, and he went into the season with people saying maybe 
he'll be picked in the draft. Not maybe he'll be a first rounder. Maybe he will be picked. That's how low his stock was. Not because he was seen as a bad player, but because he hadn't seen much game time. He grew up wanting to play at Ohio State. He went to Ohio State, couldn't get a game at Ohio State, transferred to LSU. And not a lot of players go from the Midwest down to the, down to the deep South like that. It can, it's, it's an adjustment. And he absolutely thrived. He, he had his moments last season and then the way he, the way he started this year was good and he just got better and better and better and better. And it wasn't even close between him and the other, and the other quarterbacks in terms of who was the best quarterback, who was the best player. And if you, if you've not seen Joe Burrow this season, then obviously you'll want to see him in the national championship game. But if you just go and spend an hour and a half watching the first half of the semifinal against Oklahoma from the other night, you can, you can watch them all on demand on ESPN player. He threw seven touchdowns in the first half and then just eased off in the second half because he's already resting ahead of the national championship game. Seven touchdowns in the first half. LSU scored 63 points. And he scored himself, didn't he? Yeah, and he ran one in as well. Yeah, he the guy, the guy can the guy can move. Um, not as much as Trevor Lawrence, who will who will get into um for Clemson, but he can he can do it all. He sees everything. It's like the game slows down for him. Now he's yeah. got he's got a good team around him, but when you look at the offensive players around him, he is he is the guy. It's not like he's just surrounded by such incredible weapons that he can just throw the ball up and it's yeah. just going to get caught, or he's got outstanding running backs who will always get him out of trouble. Burrow is the guy who makes LSU tick right now. Yeah, and that this was really, LSU... it's a really good description. That was really apparent. How, against Oklahoma specifically, how good is that Oklahoma D? Because it was a big game, right? So there was no, yeah, it's, no need to, for them to be motivated for it. But yeah, it's, it's slightly the, misleading. The Oklahoma defense is not great. Mm. The Oklahoma were the best team in the Big 12, but the knock on the Big 12 is that they, they can't play defense. They can play offense just fine. And if you get into a, um, a shootout with them, they can, they can keep up with you. Obviously, Oklahoma could not keep up in a shootout with LSU, could not stop anything that LSU were doing. Oklahoma's defense is okay. Mm. Now, Clemson and Ohio State have got perhaps the two best defenses, um, in the league. So it was, it was known that Whoever, who, if LSU were to win, they were going to come up against a much sterner test in the, in the championship game. And we'll, and we'll see. But, you know, there's a lot of times where a big college team will play a very, very weak team because you can pick your schedule and they'll want a kind of a little break between their kind of their, their bigger games. And they'll play a team that is just a nothing team, Mm. a team that's a hundred spots below them. And maybe the quarterback will throw seven touchdowns in the first half and then take a break uh, in the second half. You do not expect to see that between two teams ranked number one and number four. Mm. Now, we had a clear one, two, and three with LSU, Ohio State, Clemson. But it's not like Oklahoma were lucky to be ranked number four. And if you are the fourth best team in the country, that's pretty damn good. You don't get that far with having an awful defense. And he made them look absolutely terrible. That's as good as he's looked all season. And he's going to have to be that good again to beat Clemson. Uh, one of the other elements of this game, and, and we'll talk about the Clemson matchup in a moment, a uh, really tragic story that uh, Carly McCord, who was uh, a broadcaster out of the uh, Louisiana area and the daughter-in-law of uh, Steve Ensminger, who's the LSU offensive coordinator, died in a plane crash on the way to the game. And there was the... Um, 
really uh, the broadcasters obviously knew about this and were talking about it pre-game and kept cutting uh, to Ensminger and you're thinking well god how are you I mean it, it echoed Brett Favre for example that, sure, that when, his game, died, yeah, when his father died and, so and the broadcasters alluded to this saying he's able to, to escape this terrible news for a few hours and put his focus in the game and then have to deal with everything afterwards it, you know added uh um a very poignant and, and obviously tragic narrative to, to, to the game, which was, uh, I guess, accentuated by the Burrow interview afterwards when one of the reporters broke the news to him. Uh, he didn't know during a post-game mm. interview. And what will this mean for LSU? Because I think there's one thing, as the broadcasters were suggesting, dealing with the shock and just completely shutting it out and concentrating on what's immediately in front of you. But now there's a bit of time before the championship game what do you anticipate the impact of this will be i think i think it makes it i think it makes it harder for anslinger because um we've all we've all dealt with um shock and tragedy in our lives and you can kind of almost sort of sleepwalk through the through the first couple of couple of days and things that can distract you and something that you can focus on that is almost a, a huge relief and he was able to kind of throw himself into that into that game for a few hours and kind of sort of get in the zone but he's going to be he's going to be dealing with um grieving family for the next few weeks and i think every time he goes into that booth to call a game he'll be reminded for the rest of his life of what happened just before that i think the team will the team will rally around him but i think it's impossible for it to not disrupt his preparation over the next couple of weeks. Of course, he's a, of course, he's a professional and he will also want to be able to focus on something else. But I think, I think the next one will be harder mm-hmm. than this one because he's going to have so many family members around him who are struggling so much. Yeah, understandably. Uh, uh, so, okay, well, let's talk about the next one then, the final game of the season, the college championship. LSU unsurprisingly are going to be heavy favorites going into this one, much as they were uh, going into the semifinal against Oklahoma. How did Clemson make it? They had a slightly different type of uh, a day, didn't they? It was, yeah, wasn't I, it as, as plain sailing as it was for LSU. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I was I was having some messages back and forth with producer Ollie uh, yesterday. And a, did Ollie ask of, you for tips again? Well, this is the thing is he didn't this time. And it's, oh, good that he, it's good that he didn't because I, I was I was really struggling. Um, to, to figure out who I thought would win Ohio State or Clemson. And I thought I'd just about give the edge to Ohio State. And he actually picked Clemson. And when Clemson went down 16 nothing, he kind of gave up on it. I was making notes through the game. And when Ohio State went up 16 nothing in the second quarter, the, the note that I made was Ohio State have blown this. That's when they went up 16 nothing because they scored an early touchdown and then they, they, each time they would get to the red zone. They dominated the first 25 minutes of the game, mm. but they would get into the red zone and all of a sudden the Clemson defense would finally kind of stiffen and OS, OSU would have to kick a field goal. And I thought they, they are going to live to regret this because at some point Clemson are going to put together five or 10 minutes of good play and it's going to totally change it. And they did that straight after that. And it was 16-14 at halftime. And Clemson were able to um, take the lead. And then they had to come back in the fourth quarter to win it. And 
Trevor Lawrence, who's the quarterback of Clemson, won the national championship last season. He has never lost a game mm. at Clemson. The last time he lost a game, he was in high school. He hasn't even had to come back to win in the fourth quarter. He's never been trailing in the second half of a game at Clemson. So this was completely uncharted territory. Ohio State are fantastic. Clearly one of the three best teams in college football. Ditto Clemson. The game was an absolute classic. Trevor Lawrence, who will, who is the guy I think we're going to talk about nonstop next season, um, ahead of him coming into the draft because he's not draft eligible, um, until 2021. He had to use his legs more than he would usually do. Um, the way that Ohio State were kind of using their safeties, it was, it was providing a bit of space once he could kind of get through, um, to get through the defensive line. And he was able to make those plays with his legs. He had more yards rushing than he's ever had. He was superb. It's a, it's going to be a great matchup. Um, and the, the, the key is going to be the, the defenses because it's, we know what Trevor Lawrence can do and we know what Joe Burrow can do. But LSU's defensive coordinator, Dave Aranda, Clemson's defensive coordinator, Brett, Brent Venables, those are the two highest paid assistants in college football, both earning about two and a half million dollars a year. They could both be head coaches. They've both got to figure out, okay, how do we stop Burrow? How do we stop Lawrence? I'm not convinced there is a way to stop either of them. Clemson played pretty poorly against Ohio State and still won. They will have to play they'll have to play at the top of their game to beat LSU. This mm. LSU team is absolutely unreal. They have one of the best defensive players um in college football in Grant Delpit, um who's the best he's the best safety in, in college football. He's gonna make things very difficult for Trevor Lawrence. Um, I'm glad that you're not asking me to pick yet. Um, we've got two weeks, haven't we? So yeah, exactly. We've got, more. And as you outlined, taking notes during, during the semi-final game, you're a diligent man. Diligent. I am. I am. And I'm so pleased. I, th- I, th- I thought when I, when I, when I wrote that one down about they've blown this, I thought that's something that either no, I will never tell anybody I wrote that down <laughs> or I will tell everybody Everyone. I wrote that down. Yeah. Um, I just want to say before, before we finish up here, because everyone will be thinking about the championship game. That's Monday, the 13th of January. So there's no Monday night football. Fortnite today, yep. Um, you might think, okay, well, that, that's it done. But no, no, no. Bowl season, bowl season is still going on. If you are listening to this on Monday, as you should be, there were games on ESPN Player from 5.30 this afternoon. The biggest one is at 1 a.m. That's Florida versus Virginia in the Orange Bowl. Who do you fancy for that? Um, Florida. I think Florida are going to win that one comfortably, but mm. I think it's going to be, it's going to be good actually compared with the other games that are kind of, that are not with bigger teams. Those are, those are the only two, um, two ranked teams playing today. New Year's Eve, there are some good ones highlighted. And again, 5 p.m. New Year's Eve. You want to start your New Year's Eve right. Start drinking at 5 p.m. Get in front of ESPN player. That late? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, okay, perhaps sit down at 5 p.m. Start yeah. drinking before then. Um, and then the biggest game, you know, you'll have, you'll have seen in the New Year at midnight. And then at 12.30, you've got Utah versus Texas in the Alamo Bowl. The New Year's Day. So in college football, bowl games, New Year's Day, those two things go together like New Year's Eve and drinking. Mm. You've got four fantastic games on the 1st of January. I'm going to quickly run through them just so you know what they are. You're a company PM. man, Dim, because they're all ESPN player, right? I, I, cannot, I cannot bear the idea that people will be missing out on these games. When, it, when the NFL season, regular season finishes, you know you've only got a handful of playoff games left. So enjoy these bowl games. Make the most of it, especially if you're not working on New Year's Day. 
6 p.m. Minnesota versus Auburn in the Outback Bowl. I think Auburn are going to win that, but there's going to be um, there's going to be some great defense on display. Also at 6 p.m., Michigan versus Alabama in the Oof. Citrus Bowl. Now, like this, this could be Harbaugh's defining moment. If they get well beaten by Alabama, he could be out of a job. But if he beats Alabama, all of a sudden people are going to say, "Okay, well, it was just an off season, and who knows what they can achieve." So. It might be the decider as to whether he's in the NFL or in college football next season. Fast forward to 10 p.m., Oregon versus Wisconsin. That's the game I'm most looking forward to. That's the that's the Rose Bowl game. There's going to be a lot of points in that one. And then at 1.45 a.m., finish the day off nicely, Georgia versus Baylor in the Sugar Bowl in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, which will also host the championship game. That's that's New Year's Day. Those All those teams are ranked in the top 18. They all look fantastic. And then we're then focused Monday, the 13th of January in the Superdome. And I, I realized today that LSU have won three national championships. Every single one of those national championships, the final game they've had to play has been in New Orleans. Mm. So the odds are against Clemson. It's probably going to be a pro LSU crowd in the Superdome in New a little Orleans, bit. A little as, you, bit. as you can imagine. Now, obviously, you know the Superdome. The, the atmosphere for that is going to be insane. It's going to be like, a Saints NFC Championship game. It's going to be an incredible atmosphere. I can't wait already. And according to ESPN, you can you can get tickets for just under twelve hundred dollars right now. Oh, brilliant! Well, we've definitely so, got that in the uh, in the Nat Coombe Show bank account. So, yep. um, I mean, well, I, actually, maybe not. I don't know. Depends how well Ollie got on uh, over over the festive <laughs> period with his wages. And the, the secret Santa budget for the Nat Coombs show, mm. um, it didn't it didn't Slightly stretch under. to that. Slightly so under. I've not been able to get anyone tickets for that. The ticket prices are going to go up as well. But yeah, right now you can get in for twelve hundred dollars. Lovely stuff. It is a snip, uh, or just enjoy it on ESPN player. There you go. Uh, and indeed, those New Year's Day games sound absolutely brilliant. The perfect remedy for it, in case you have a, a busy night. And a slightly sore head uh, the morning after, the night before. I think that is nothing better than uh, putting on the comfies and watching back-to-back-to-back uh, -back -back bowl action. Uh, and it's uh, something I'm sure Ben Isaacs will be doing. And then filling us in on what went down. And we'll do a, a more studied and detailed game preview. So you've got a bit of time, two weeks to be precise, Ben, to get your head around that mm -hmm. and give us your picks and, and break down the big game for us. At Tweets from Ben is how you follow him on Twitter. Look after yourself, mate. See you soon. Same to you. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, man. Lovely stuff from Greg and Ben. As Ben said, he'll be back soon to uh, break down that game in a little bit more detail. And of course, we'll be hearing from Brady as we roll through the playoffs up to the Super Bowl in Miami, which incidentally, we're going to be out there for dropping pods and video content every day in the build up to the big show. We're back later on this week with Iron Mike. So check in then. Bye for now. Podcast Network.